Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is an educational assistant and author. She lives in Ontario, Canada, and is a wife and mother to two adult children. She says it might sound kind of nerdy, but she loves word games like Wordle and Scrabble, and that keeps her vocab up to par for writing. She walks for at least an hour every day because that's her best thinking time. It clears her head. Searching for a Stranger and Finding Myself, a memoir, is her first book. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Wendy Scott. Thank you very much, Julia. I'm glad to be here today. And nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. Wendy, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first book? Well, I really pondered this question because there's quite a few answers, but I think the obvious one for myself, if anybody knows me, it would be lack of self-confidence and lack of self-esteem. I have uh, written uh, like small, small pieces and I uh, had them in like today's Parrot Magazine. Um and I think I also submitted something to Reader's Digest. It was kind of a joke. So those were very, very small. But writing a book is a big commitment. And I just didn't feel I had the self-confidence to write a whole book because that's, uh, that's a lot of words. Uh, that's a lot of uh, time, I guess. And my best time is when I'm alone, like especially for reading. And um, as you said, I have two children and like they're older now, they're adults. So I think that and uh, being alone um, because I was divorced at the time and separated and COVID, I had lots of alone time. So that really provided the opportunity for me to reflect back on my life and to really sit down and think, you know what, am I going to do this? And how am I going to do this? And this is, I, I felt it was the perfect time to do it. Well, Wendy, you and I share uh, the same journey. We share the adoption journey. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your inspiration for this story and, and your part of the journey. Okay. Um, I grew up, excuse me. I grew up knowing that I had an adopted half sibling. Um, but back in that time period in the sixties, it was very, 
secretive when someone had a child out of wedlock and it was adopted. So um, uh, it was my dad's child and um, his family um, just didn't want to talk about it. They felt it was secretive. So I always knew about it. My mom knew about it. And um, we just kind of, we talked about it once in a while. But then as I grew up and I had, uh, was having children of my own, I had one child and I was having difficulty having another child due to some physical complications. I thought, I wonder what it's like for this adopted sibling of mine they maybe they don't have any brothers and sisters I grew up with two sisters who I love dearly and I don't know what I would do without them um, and so my son I thought what if he grows up by himself what will that be like so I thought I want to go and I want to find this half sibling of mine to let them know that I'm out there and maybe we could have a friendship um, I knew that it would never be like what I have with my sisters because we grew up together and, you know, went through so many things together. But, uh, yeah, so my book is about the search and it was well before uh, the Internet. I know nowadays you just go on Facebook, you go on, you have DNA testing, but I didn't have all that because this was around the 90s. Um, so I did a lot of library research, newspapers, um, telephone directories, a lot of chatting with people, um, genealogy. And um, yeah, so it made me, I grew up very shy with no self-esteem um, because of my red hair, which I love now, but I didn't love as a child. Yeah, so my journey made me into the person I am today. It made me kind of come out of my shell. Um, it made me feel very important to be looking for this person and to have this, uh, what would I say, to, if I found him, that it would be just such a great accomplishment because it's just like looking for a needle in a haystack when you're doing something like this so yeah so my journey was filled with lots of twists and turns um the reader will be amazed at some of the parts uh i've had reviews that said that it read more like fiction than nonfiction, and that at times it was unbelievable but it really is my life and my story and um, yeah, I hope whoever reads it, enjoys it and uh, gets something out of it. Well, I went on my search in the 70s and I searched for my birth mother because I wanted to know any health records like you. I, I right. would go into a doctor's office and they would say, do you have heart disease or cancer or diabetes in your family? And I would say, I don't know because I'm adopted. And so I wanted right. to have those records. So that's the reason I began my search for my birth mother. And then many years later, uh, DNA results 
um, proved that I had a birth father's family out there. So that was an interesting journey as well. But I turned my book into fiction and just used a thread of my own memoir running through it because my birth mother had not told her family that she had given me up for adoption. And so uh, once I found her, I respected you know, her story and waited uh, until after her death before I wrote about it. But it's a very interesting journey, especially those times that were so secretive and there was so much shame and guilt heaped on the heads of unwed mothers. And And I hope that our times have changed since then. Yeah, I think so. I know most people I've talked to nowadays um, that have a child and, and maybe give it up for adoption, a lot of times they still have a relationship with that child or their family has a relationship. Um, and I just don't think uh, mothers are forced with that stigma that they have to give up that child. Um, they know that they can get a job and support it. Whereas back then, I uh, believe from what I, I've gathered that they were, you were at a stay at home mom that you didn't work and how could you afford to have a child? So um yeah, I think it's easier nowadays to 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 keep your child rather than give it up. I certainly hope that's the case. Well, once you wrote this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? I decided to self-publish. When I was having children, I did try writing some children's books. And I sent them away to publishers and with all these great hopes that, yeah, they're going to be published, but no, all the rejection letters. Um, I didn't send it away to hundreds of places, which maybe that that could have been the ticket. But uh, back then you had to actually type it up and put it in an envelope and send it away. So it was costly, too. So, no, I decided to self-publish after talking to uh, two author friends of mine that I, uh, the one was a, f a friend of a friend, and the other was just a lady that, um, yeah, I guess she was a friend of a friend too. So, yeah, they had decided to self-publish as well, and they uh, have been my mentors uh, all along. And um, I did look at uh, not really like, uh, I guess it would be self-publishing, but in a package deal like uh, Friesen Press or Book Baby or Publish. And I, uh, the one author friend of mine, she had went that way and uh, she had been through many, many of those uh, play, uh, I don't know what you would call them, publishing houses or what. And it seemed to me that she was never satisfied, whereas the other author friend that I had, he uh, did it all on his own. He picked his own cover designer, his own interior designer, his own editor, and he was quite pleased and satisfied with his end product um, financially as well. The only thing uh, difference that I can notice between the two is that maybe the other places, it's a whole package deal. So it maybe takes a bit of pressure off of you as the author to, to, to find all those people, I guess, because they have those, those uh, uh, specialized people. 
And maybe they promise some type of advertising. Whereas I know myself, I have done it all my own, all on my own. And uh, that has been the most difficult part is the advertising and the marketing. Well, we have so many different options these days and, and self-publishing has certainly become a strong option for authors who want to have control and want to uh, do all of those steps themselves. There's a learning curve. And so a lot of people have to get coaches or, or really hone out a lot of time to teach themselves the, the processes. Um, and you talk about publicity and marketing and, you know, even the big five in the United States require their authors to do most of their own publicity. So a lot of writers are finding that most difficult, but have you found anything that worked for you or maybe something you've tried that didn't work? Um, I did try one thing on, I believe it was uh, through Instagram. It was a book tour. And um, I really researched that because I, it was the most money I've ever invested into marketing. And um, this person uh, gave lots of references of other authors, made no promises of book sales, which I totally respected. But I was still kind of crossing my fingers that something would come of it because of the money I invested. Um, so most certainly there was a lot of hype um, about my book. Um, she had bloggers, I think there were 12 that read my book and they left reviews, which are still on Amazon and uh, Goodreads, which I truly appreciate. But um, as I can follow my own sales because I'm an independent publisher. As far as sales, unless they happened much later, I saw no growth. So for me, that was very disappointing to invest that money and then have no, um, no way of knowing if it had brought any sales about. So that would be probably one thing that I would uh, recommend not to do. Unless, unless your blogger had other had reader bloggers had other readers that might be interested in your book, like mine's a memoir, so that's very uh, honed to one like one topic. Whereas I think if you are a fantasy or like a fictional writer, there's a little bit more area for. Uh, yeah, just more room, I guess, for more re different readers. But I think something that's good about your book, as well as mine, even though mine's fiction, is that we have the platform of adoption. And there are a lot of podcasts and a lot of uh, groups, adoption groups, that would be interested in your search. And a lot of people are still searching because... Um, there are more closed record states than there are open record states in the U.S. And you might be able to speak to groups about the search process and, and talk to other adoptees. And even during November, which is adoption month, you know, I found that I got a lot of publicity on radio and television because they wanted to talk about what was different back then about adoption, what's different today, because women's issues are such a hot topic that you can speak to all of that. 
Right, right. Yeah, I'll have to try to remember that. I didn't know that November was adoption month. And then to try and uh, maybe contact some of those groups. Have there been any specific books or seminars or writing retreats or groups that you can share that improved your writing journey? Most definitely. Before I wrote the book, um, I thought I really need to know if I am a writer, if I can write a whole book. So I enrolled in my public libraries. They're called Gale courses, G-A-L-E. They're free. And the one was called Writerific and the other was Write Your Life Story. She's the one that looks at after your writing. I, her name's Dr. Eva Shaw. And uh, she herself is an author. And um, it's kind of like a, an open forum on there if you want to share your writing. And she also will uh, critique your writing. And um, it's a, a writing course. And at the end, you do get a certificate. So I really, really enjoyed that. Um, she gave us lots of tips, like how to have your own office and space for writing. And I think it was when she said, you are an author or you are a writer. I thought, okay, I guess I am. So um, that, that, those two courses really helped me because it taught me about uh, different things I can do while I'm writing uh, to not um, just write the story, not just tell the story, but use uh, like smells maybe, I, I guess that I remember that being an, an activity. Like what did, what were you thinking, feeling, smelling, um, just different ideas like that, that I would have never, ever thought of uh, before, but it was on a much scale, smaller scale than writing a book. But um, yeah, I did that. I also joined a local writers group. And since it was during COVID, I think at the beginning we were meeting in a library. And then after that, we had to meet online. And um, that was very beneficial because they gave me lots of pointers, lots of ideas. And actually, our leader became one of my uh, beta readers, which was wonderful. So, uh, yeah, a writing group was uh, really beneficial. And then since becoming an author, um, I'm, uh, I really highly recommend Facebook groups, author groups. I am in one called We Love Memoirs. And then since I'm an author, they asked me to join the We Love Memoir author group. So I belong to both of those. And uh, as far as marketing and advertising, they have been phenomenal. Uh, because they, a lot of the authors on there have been very successful. And so they give us um, pointers. Um, it's just a matter of asking. So, um, yeah, that has been uh, a very good uh, experience for me, um, along with joining maybe Facebook book groups, I guess. Usually there's uh, thousands of people on them, and they talk about different books that they read, um yeah just uh, that that has been uh very very good as well uh joining facebook groups 
The internet provides so much talent from around the world. So there's so many courses and I'm always asked, you know, what, what courses did you take? And I'll say most of them are online because, because of COVID we know now that we can go anywhere in the world and get writing courses or writing retreats or conferences and meet up with, you know, so many authors and professors and professionals from around the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been fantastic to have to be able to be on the internet and COVID actually helped with that, I guess, to make us be more online. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the passage you've brought to share today and then read from it so we can hear your tone and voice. Absolutely. So I have picked uh, one of the chapters out of my book. Uh, my book is not uh, a hard book to read. It's very, very easy. It's just the way that I'm talking right now. That's a lot of people say it's like sitting down with you for coffee and just chatting back and forth. And um, my chapters are not long. I made them that way for a reason so that you would flip through them and then want to go to the next one. So the first one is a pretty good introduction of um, my book and the setting of how it all began. So the first chapter is called Shot in the Heart. And the date was July 22nd, 1967. A young woman was heard screaming and seen running down the street during the early morning hours of this fateful summer day. She would later have to be sedated after police questioned her for several hours about the shooting death of her boyfriend, Leonard Hawkins. Leonard had been killed at the home where she had been staying in London, Ontario. Nancy, a pretty blonde in her mid-teens, had somehow become involved with Leonard, a married man. Her father had died when she was young, leaving her mother with several children to raise. This may have been why Nancy was looking for love in all the wrong places. She met Leonard and instantly fell in love. Even knowing he was already married to Jean Hawkins, born Meadows, and had three very young girls, didn't stop her from pursuing him. Against all odds, he left his wife and children to be with her. Little did she know at this young age, habits die hard. Leonard had been unfaithful to his wife, was young and attractive, and wasn't about to change his ways. He liked to go on all-night benders with his buddies and enjoyed a single man's lifestyle. He didn't want to answer to anybody but himself. Their relationship together was short-lived, lasting only for a few years. In that time, they traveled west for a number of possible reasons, such as being near to his extended family, finding work, or hiding something like a pregnancy. Yes, Nancy had become pregnant while under the age of 18, so now was going to have a child to take care of. Things hadn't gone as planned for Nancy. Her current bed was the living room couch of Leonard's friends, the Robies. Her relationship with Leonard had become rocky and they were separated. She stayed with this young couple and their three children while she decided her next move. On July 22, 1967, the story of Leonard's death made the front page of a London newspaper and included a sketch depicting the crime scene. The diagram added more, more interest to the story as it traced the movements of Leonard and Nancy during the last minutes of his life. 
The article claimed that Leonard had been out to a hotel with friends the night of July 21st and had cruised by the Roby residence earlier that evening. Later, at some point, he left the hotel and went to the Roby's house where he broke in and found Nancy on the couch asleep. He shook her awake and threatened to kill her. Nancy fled, running into the Roby's bedroom for help. Mr. Roby grabbed his gun, searched his house, and then called the police. While Mr. Roby was dialing the last digit, Leonard ran back into the house and charged at him. Leonard grabbed the barrel of the gun and punched Mr. Roby. During the struggle, the gun went off and a bullet slammed into Leonard's chest. In shock, Leonard ran to the bed where he fell and died right in front of Mrs. Roby and Nancy. Fortunately, the three children in the home were spared the memory as they were asleep at the time. Mr. Roby was later taken to the police station, questioned, and then released. No charges were laid, but the newspaper stated there would be an inquest. The article ended with a brief mention of Leonard being separated from his wife and three daughters. This was nothing neither Nancy nor the Robies would ever forget. All three were witnesses to his death. Shock, disbelief, and later regret would surely all play a part in their lives. No doubt the game, what if, played across their minds for years. Based on the witness testimony given by Nancy and the Robies, the shooting was classified as self-defense. But really, they could tell the story any way they liked. Who would ever know but them? Leonard's family members speculated if the truth had been told. Myrna, Leonard's youngest sister, attended the inquest where the jury found the shooting completely accidental. This verdict was reached after coroner and police reports were presented, along with witness tes testimonies. She remembers there being no mention of a baby at the Roby house that night. It was understood that Nancy had given up the baby some weeks before the shooting. It sounds fairly reasonable for the jury to reach a decision based on the evidence and testimonies. If someone grabs the barrel of a loaded firearm, firearm I guess we shouldn't be surprised if the gun accidentally goes off. For Leonard, though, it was the last mistake he'd ever make in a string of bad decisions. What was Leonard thinking that night? Possibly he wanted to see Nancy to try to make things right with her. Maybe she had decided it wasn't going to work out for them. And when he shook her awake from a deep sleep, she didn't want any part of a reconciliation. His history of drinking had turned him into a violent and abusive man. And I'm sure he demanded to see his child. There is no mention of, baby, of a baby in the newspaper article, but possibly it was omitted or withheld due to extenuating circumstances. Nancy, being underage, when she conceived the baby, could have caused other problems. So when Leonard woke Nancy and they argued, he likely threatened to kill her. And she knew Leonard well enough to run and get Mr. Roby. Nancy knew when Leonard was drunk, there was no reasoning with him. The newspaper article alluded to the fact that Leonard had broken into the home. Again, what was he thinking? You just can't break into a house, threaten to kill someone and think everything will turn out fine. If he had been out drinking all night and was driving while intoxicated, added on to all the other offenses he had just committed, he would, he would be facing some serious charges. Of course, Leonard wouldn't have the opportunity to have his day in court. His life ended on July 22, 1967 at 4.15 a.m. He really did die hard. He was only 25 years old and left behind four children, all under five years of age. 
It was a tragic incident that changed many lives for years to come. So what does this all have to do with me? Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you. What does your family think about this story that you've written? Because sometimes memoir can be a little touchy in families. Well, at the beginning, uh, when I was going to search for my half-sibling, my mom asked me, um, what do you want to do that for? Because she was a woman scorned. This woman and my dad had an affair and she was left behind along with us. So um, she at first was, I would say, just not a good support. Uh, it's not like she said, don't do it. She just said, what do you want to do that for? And when I explained to her, well, this is part of me. This person is uh, half my blood. Um uh, that's why I want to do it. And I want to put closure to this. This is something that's always been in the back of my mind. And I want to find them and let them know that I'm out there. Um, my, <clears throat> my father's family had really kept it a secret. Um, every the, it, There was never any mention of it when we went to visit there, um, which was summers and Christmases. They... My aunt Myrna was very, very supportive in giving me any and all information I needed to know about my search. She told me everything that I could. Um, my sisters, uh, my oldest sister was very, very supportive. Uh, my youngest sister, I think um, she I think she just would have been okay if we had just said, you know, it's fine. We don't need to find him and let just let sleeping dogs lie which was, I think, the case with my um, some of my dad's family. I'm not going to mention any names because, you know, it is a touchy subject. Um, and then my grandma at the time, I really worried what she would think because she was uh, quite elderly. Um, but she, once I found him, she would talk about him and she did meet him. And um, so did some other members of my dad's family. And uh, they were all very supportive. But at the same time, I just had this feeling that, um, yeah, I just had an uneasy feeling. I didn't have that feeling of, oh, they, you know, they love and support him and want him in their lives. Not all of them anyways, because it was a tragic accident like a tragic incident at the time. And um, not everybody, you know, thought it was a good idea, I don't think, for me to go and search. But you know what, it was my half sibling. So I felt I had every right to do it. And um, they had every right to know I was out there. Do you have any other books in you? I do actually have a book that I published. This is it right here. Oh, whether it looks backwards there. It's a children's story. It's one of the stories that I said that I had wrote a long time ago and tried to send it to publishers with no luck. And um, I did not have pictures for my story. So that might have been part of why it wasn't accepted either. But um, I took this uh, idea to my writers group, my local writers group, and said, um, you know, I have this story. 
um, do you think I should get an illustrator or what should I do? And they said, Wendy, why don't you try publishing it with no um, pictures in it? So the story of the house that grew feet is uh, it has uh, the words on the one side and then it has a blank page on the other side and then a spot on the cover for the child to put illustrated by. So um, that's one of the books, um, although it won the, to, because of the design of it and the, because you want the children to be able to lay it flat, it can't be perfect bound. So Amazon cannot um, print it and uh, distribute. I can't distribute it that way. It has staples. So um, this one has been a little bit harder to promote, I would have to say, because there is no Amazon or Ingram Spark to help me along that, that journey. Um, I do have another book if this one, um, if I can find the right way to promote this one, I think I'm going to have to put a little bit more money into my advertising with that one. And I also have to mail it to people. I, I have it uh, printed here in um, the town that I live in, and which is nice to have a local printer. And I, I mail it out to people. So yeah, that's my book. <laughs> I can see that at a summer reading program at the library and bring in an artist and help the children illustrate their own book would be very cool. Yes. Yeah. Well, I have done a couple of local vendor shows where I sell the book and what the, the kids and I do is I read the story and then we collaborate together and we do a drawing of one of the scenes out of the, the book and we do it on a bigger piece of paper so that they can all participate. And uh, yeah, that, that went well. Well, Wendy, as always, our last interview question is our readers over 50 are a unique group. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above? Uh, I suppose so. Um, I think I kind of touched on what I wanted to close with already, but I uh, truly believe that if you feel that you could do this, that you should try to practice your craft through a, a, a course, a writing course. And that way you can gain some self-confidence in your writing and learn some different techniques so, um, yeah, absolutely try some uh, free creative writing classes in your area, if possible. Join some groups on Facebook. Like I said, if it's a memoir, We Love Memoirs is an awesome uh, group. And then again, the, the Facebook groups, I guess. And a, write, a local writers group will, will help you and it'll help you gain some self-confidence in your writing um, and yeah, if you feel like doing it and you think you have a story to tell, then I would say go for it. Well, we just appreciate that advice today and, and so happy that you've been with us because I applaud you for the journey you, you took to find a half sibling. This, this is a very brave attempt. And uh, I always tell people, you, we have a lot of love to give for, for many people, for friends and family, but for others as well. And, and we can just expand our tent and invite others into it. So I'm sure that your journey was well worthwhile, even as you said that it just brought you a lot of confidence and self-esteem along the way. And you found a lot 
more about yourself and and what your inner self was capable of doing. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. And we're excited to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. Thank you so much for having me, Julia. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.